so incarnation family it's so good to be with you um like i said i wish uh we could be together in person uh, but merry christmas it's still christmas which is great <laughs> i love that <clears throat> i'm really honored to be able to share with you this first sunday of christmas um, so I think we can all wholeheartedly agree that these past 10 months have not been easy for any of us, for our nation, or for the world. Uh, humanity received the sudden and rude intrusion of COVID-19 at this time last year, beginning in Wuhan, China. And through the rest of 2020, our way of life was stripped of our normal social privileges everything from going to getting groceries to uh, our beloved family gatherings. And on top of all of that, the first half of this year was filled with social justice upheavals from anti-Asian racist acts and attacks to the great tragedy of more black lives lost uh, unreasonably and unjustly to racism and police brutality. There have been too many lives lost to illness, to racism, and to sin and brokenness persisting in our world. When trials and difficulties happen, the last thing anyone needs is to be alone. However, this year's circumstances have put us in perfect personal internal storms of sadness, loneliness, apathy, numbness, despair, hopelessness, and even ignorance. And whether you feel these emotions very strongly or not, I simply wanted to begin by naming how many of us may have felt in this season, because the truths I hope for us to receive from scripture today will apply to our current reality within and without ourselves. And this year has been hard. It's been weird, it's been surreal, uh, as social beings, one of our greatest needs has been tried, drained, and in some cases, altogether taken away. Our need to be with one another, to dwell with one another, to support one another, to connect face-to-face, body-to-body, laughter-to-laughter, and tears-to-tears. All the hardships and losses from this past year have been amplified because our usual places of dwelling have not been able to be filled with our friends and loved ones, or even be usual places of hospitality and belonging for others. And even when there was still a way to gather, there was always that pebble in our shoe reminding us of the underlying stress and worry of the virus affecting us in the lives of our loved ones. Our dwelling places have been disturbed this year. Our sense of dwelling has been distressed. Our souls are weary, worn down, and longing for normalcy again. As followers of Jesus, we hold on to our faith that God is in control and that he is still good, faithful, merciful, gracious, and powerful. We can believe in all this without denying uh, needing to deny our current needs and, and struggles. It's actually in our weaknesses and deficiencies where we may find God with us the most. For here, we are celebrating once again the birth of Jesus, 
reminding us of the amazing revelation that the mighty and holy creator God came to dwell with us in a most intimate and vulnerable way. Jesus coming as a small infant through childbirth into an imperfect and humble scene of life to be Emmanuel, God with us, is one of the most powerful truths in the Christian life. Emmanuel has definitely been a bedrock of comfort for me in the crazy ups and downs of this year. From today's readings, uh, there are two ways I want us to further embrace this incredible reality that our God is indeed, through Jesus' birth, a God who dwells with us. So first is that God dwells with us through promises, and second, that God dwells with us through vulnerability. So first, God dwells with us through promises. The people of God and the nations of the earth inherit a great prophetic promise of God through the birth of Jesus. Through our readings today in 2 Samuel, Psalm 132, and Luke 1, we are able to trace from conception to conception the promise God makes to David and the people of Israel to bring an everlasting king who will reign over the house of Jacob upon the throne of David. It's important for believers today to recognize the significance of God's promise in the Old Testament, because even though they may seem distant or inapplicable, these promises were meant for the whole world. First to God's chosen people, the Israelites, and then to the nations through Jesus. We are inheritors of God's promises, even now, and especially as we celebrate Christmas. So feel free to open up your Bibles to this Old Testament reading in 2 Samuel chapter 7, where we will see uh, the prophecy God gives to Nathan to speak to King David. <clears throat> so I'll read some of it, beginning in the middle of verse 11. It says, Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And jumping to verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure before, uh, sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. At the beginning of this chapter, we see David express strongly his concern to Nathan about how he as a king dwelled in the house of cedar while God's presence at that time dwelled in a tent. And the ark was in the tent. But shortly after, God gives Nathan this prophetic word revealing his greater plans for David's throne. God makes it clear that he does not need a house built for him, but more importantly is intending to make a house and a kingdom for David, one that will be made sure forever before God. In our reading in Psalm 132, actually we didn't get to this part, but it's at the end of Psalm 132 that further emphasizes God's promise in verses 11 and 12, if you wanna go check that out. <clears throat> but the word house here can refer to a physical dwelling habitation, but also refers to a family of descendants. 
we can interpret God's promise here as both referring, um, oh, as referring to the many generations of descendants of David's line that ultimately lead to Jesus. Though David's royal line of kings does, doesn't make it all the way to Jesus's time uh, a thousand years later, the promise of David's throne given to a son in this family line does make its way to Luke's gospel account that we read of angel, the angel Gabriel's uh, visitation to Mary in chapter one, verses 31 to 33, which says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. The throne of David here is less about Jesus being an earthly king like his ancestor, but more about Jesus being established as God's anointed one who will bring an everlasting kingdom through his death and resurrection. The eternal language of this promise is fulfilled in Jesus reigning forever on the throne with God, which is happening now and also will be brought to fullness at the end of days when Jesus returns. This promise passed through many generations finally came to its fulfillment in Jesus being born. A promised infant king who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, as put so beautifully by Apostle Paul in Philippians 2. When I think of someone dwelling with me, I think of someone who is simply near and occupies the same space, like so. <laughs> God came to dwell with us through Jesus by drawing near, so near that he inhabited Mary's womb and eventually was born into the world like each of us were. Jesus cried the same infant cries, depended on the same motherly nourishment, occupied the same air, walked the same land, and experienced the same human joys, sorrows, temptations, and sins. Through Jesus' incarnation, he ushered in the new era of God's kingdom that brought God's dwelling with us to a new reality. In verse 13 of Psalm 132, it says, for the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This language of God dwelling in Zion, a synonym to the physical city of Jerusalem, is found throughout the Old Testament scriptures. God's desire is to dwell with his people. Zion was the promised land of the Israelites and once held the temple with the presence of the Lord. However, worshipers of God today do not need to go to Jerusalem anymore in order to be with God. Jesus introduces this new promise to the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4. He says to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. 
You worship what you do not do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. One no longer needs to meet or worship God in a grand temple or on a high mountain. Through Jesus coming and dying in the flesh, the people of God, true worshipers now have the Holy Spirit and thus obtain the confident and amazing reality that God dwells within us. And Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple? and that God's spirit dwells in you. This is the great inheritance I want us to be reminded of in this Christmas season. God has always intended to dwell with us through his promises. We are all invited into a much bigger story, one that is still ongoing. Ultimately, God promises to come back to fully establish a true everlasting kingdom, a restored and redeemed world, so that he may dwell forever with his people. We see this written in Revelation 21. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. God dwells with those who have inherited this ongoing promise through faith in Jesus Christ. Finally, I want us to look at how God dwells with us through vulnerability. So we'll be looking solely at Mary's interaction with the angel in Luke 1, 26 through 38, if you want to follow along. So I've been meditating a lot on the miracle of pregnancy since, like Taylor mentioned, uh, I'm in my third trimester. I've been journeying through this mysterious amazing process over the past eight months uh, and pregnancy is a vulnerable thing it has made me feel vulnerable in my worth uh, my actions my identity and my ability it's a vulnerable time of experiencing physical deficiencies like nausea and fatigue as well as mental and emotional uh, such as feeling like there's a huge cotton ball in my brain <laughs> to sometimes feeling deep sadness coming out of nowhere. When Mary received this revelation and commission from Gabriel in Luke 1, she was a teenage girl, newly engaged, uh, Sarah said to the children, probably filled with dreams and longings and plans of her own. Uh, I, I've been Every time I read this story, I've been really intrigued by Mary's reaction to the angel's greeting in uh, verse 29, <clears throat> which says, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. 
I imagine Mary felt quite vulnerable in that moment of an angel suddenly appearing to her and addressing her as, oh, favored one. Maybe she was troubled because she was feeling insecure and doubtful of her worth to receive such a holy visitation as this. Maybe she didn't feel worthy to be seen as a favored one in God's eyes. Whatever is going through her mind as she was trying to discern what all of this meant, Mary continued to receive the news given to her. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom, there will be no end. As I mentioned before, what the angels stated here directly fulfills the prophetic promise God made to King David. This was truly a great revelation. God's promise made a thousand years before Mary's time was being brought to fruition right within her. And what she manages to say in response to the angel is, how will this be since I am a virgin? How will this be? The teenage girl's mind could barely wrap her mind around becoming pregnant before she is married, let alone being able to fathom conceiving a son who apparently will be great and is destined to fulfill a long-time prophecy for the people of Israel. I honestly believe that any woman or female in this situation would also stop short of the big prophecy stuff and get stumped on the how part of this news. So in verse 35, the angel responds, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Not only does Mary hear next that the conception is far from normal, one brought on by the Holy Spirit, but also that the baby will be called Holy, the Son of God. How amazing that our Holy God came to be with us, starting in Mary's human womb. Pregnancy is not only vulnerable for the mother, <clears throat> it is vulnerable for the child as well. First time moms like me and even experienced moms I've heard are often naturally worried about a baby's development in the womb. It's something we can't see. It's a mysterious process that is both indirectly and directly affected by external circumstances. The growing fetus is constantly relying on the well-being of the mother, as well as taking along the amazing biological and miraculous process of being formed into a whole little human being from just mere cells. When I think of holiness, I think of something untouchable, completely revered, and therefore separate from the unholy. I think of God in the tabernacle whose pure glory and holiness could easily overwhelm anything temporal or whole, unholy around it. 
However, here we are seeing the very enigma of the con conception of a holy Emmanuel, God with us in Mary's womb. And not only that, but the reality that our God went through the very real, dependent, risky, fleshly process of being knitted together wonderfully and fearfully and being born into this sinful and broken world. There is no other God like this. May this leave us in pure awe and worship. God dwells with us through vulnerability. God's incarnation through Jesus was the perfect display of his humble mercy and great love for mankind. This mysterious conception and seemingly unfathomable and impossible act changed everything for everyone forever. A holy and powerful God desired to save people from their sins so much as to dwell with them in the most intimate and vulnerable way as a human baby to ultimately as a man of sorrows who died scorned on the cross. If Jesus experienced every kind of sin and vulnerability as a human, then how much more can he comfort those who are feeling weak and vulnerable? The God we believe in and serve is not a God that requires perfection in our lives. We simply cannot live up to that while we still live in this fallen world. Instead, having become low and humbled himself, Jesus is able to meet us in the depths of our vulnerabilities and weaknesses. <clears throat> this is how God dwells with us today, through promises and through vulnerability. He may not be physically right next to us, but through the birth, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, we are now able to be filled by the Holy Spirit to live a life of great intimacy with God. As followers of Jesus and children of God, we inherit his promises of old and new and are able to share our vulnerabilities with Jesus, never being alone again. As we approach the end of 2020, carrying the burdens and scars from this unprecedented year, how can we continue to press on and live into the hope of Emmanuel, God with us? How can we be like Mary, who at the end of this whole crazy interaction responds in great faith saying, behold, I am the servant of the Lord let it be to me according to your word. So there'll be a couple questions dropped in the chat that uh, I want us to come away with today. And we can begin sharing them uh, on the first two questions in our breakout rooms. And I encourage everyone to go deeper into the rest uh, on your own time as well. Let me just end with this. God is with us when we can't see him. God is with me and my unborn child, even when I can't feel him. God is with you, even if you don't know him. His promises are true and are for every people because Jesus was born 
to take away the sin of the world. Jesus was born in vulnerability and gave his life on the cross so that everyone may know that there is a God who loves the people of this world. The one true God who desires to be with every one of us today and every day in whatever circumstances we are in and will be in next year. The mighty God who promises to one day come in glory and righteousness to dwell with and be the God of all who believe, profess, and follow Jesus as Lord and everlasting King. Amen. <laughs>